Doing announcements is a gift. I just like to say that. I'm glad he's doing it. Good morning. Only two weeks, as you already heard, only two weeks to Easter is just around the corner. <clears throat> and it came home to me clearly last Tuesday, this past Tuesday, I was in Urbana, Illinois, for the memorial service for a dear friend. His name is Jim Miller. Jim Miller is an architect of the First Order. He ran the design group for architecture students, master's students at the University of Illinois for a bunch of years. He was essentially a poet who framed space and traffic flow and light and color and sound. That's what architects do. And um, he designed and did master plans for universities around the world. He loved God, loved his work, and that day his adult children stood up and praised him. They said he loved us, he loved God, and he was tough. He, he made us work. We'd be working on a school project. We didn't know what was going on exactly. We'd get in a little fuss, and he'd be down in his office, and his voice would come down the hall saying, Think. He was big on thinking. He thought big for master planning. He paid unbelievable attention to detail. I think genius is, is designed as the uh, infinite capacity for attention to detail. He did all of that, and he was a tremendous worker. I, kn I know few people who worked as hard as Jim Miller worked. He agreed to the task, whatever the mission was, and essentially say, let's do this. My comments this morning are entitled, let's do this. I asked him one day, I said, Jim, um, what's, the, what's the perfect building? Is there a perfect building? He said, the perfect building is one that is designed to fit the context he was designing our campus, which was in redwoods that were 2,000 years old and 300 feet high on the coast of California. He said, you don't put a glass envelope in the redwoods. You, you design something that fits. And when it fits the context, the word we use is elegant. Elegant. Remember that word. I want to come back to it. I thought to myself as I stood there by his casket today, in Ur or Tuesday in Urbana, Jim... Easter is two weeks away, and this is not over. Because Easter was the time when God said, let's do this. We're two weeks away from that resurrection day. It's the watershed, in my opinion, of human history. That the, that point in time is, if we believe it, a whole new world is accessed. A whole new way of thinking is opened up. A whole new capacity for living this human life happens. So what Easter means is when this body falls off and this building no longer stands, it, it's not over. There was momentum from the start, you know, with this. Back in the days of creation, Genesis, the first chapter, <clears throat> the God of all order started speaking. He said things like, let there be light. And there was light. He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps down the earth. In short, God says, let's do this. And that action statement sets the stage for everything else. Point one on the back of your bulletin. <clears throat> there are two worldviews. One is by chance, and the other is on purpose. Two worldviews, by chance or on purpose. 
We live in a day of blurred lines. We live in a day of few absolutes. You know, we say, well, really, everything's relative. Well, we, don't, we won't believe that when UConn plays Kentucky in the last game of the Final Four. Some guy shoots, you know, a three-pointer, but his foot's on the line. They're not going to say, well, let's give it to him. As I know he's a good guy. I know his mother. No. We believe in absolutes. We just, in our culture, our culture is less and less believing in absolutes that apply to our moral character or to how we think about life in particular ways. We have more information on more subjects with more variables than we can possibly or reasonably process. So, two choices. Am I here by chance or am I here on purpose? Is life consigned to blurred vision, me groping along the wall, if you will, in the dark? Or can there be clarity? I submit this to you this morning. I submit that we are designed on purpose for a purpose. You say, this is so basic. Of course we do. Well, yeah, it's basic. It's the basic stuff that we need to hear one more time. When a basketball team doesn't play well, when a football team doesn't play well, the commentators always say the same thing. They've gotten away from what? Fundamentals, the basics. They've gotten away from how you move the ball down the lane or how you pass the ball in the perimeter. They, they've gotten away from... So this is basic. And no human being shows us basic or purpose better than Jesus of Nazareth. I'd like you to come with me in your imagination back 2,000 years. I don't know how we do that, but let's do that. Let's, all of you have imaginations. Some of you say, no, it's shot. It's gone. <laughs> but all of you in the first grade had imaginations. They said, how many here are artists? Every kid in the class raises his hand. I'm an artist. By the time you get to the sixth grade, two people raise their hand. It got beaten out of them. I don't know what happened. But the fact is, we all have imaginations. So go with me and pretend this is a map of Palestine. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's the Jordan River Valley. You've got the Sea of Galilee up here and the Dead Sea down here. And just north of the Dead Sea in the Jordan River Valley is a town called Jericho. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. And Jesus, on purpose, is on his way, after 33 years of living life on the planet, he's on his way to Jerusalem to die. And he knows it. On purpose, he's coming down the Jordan River Valley. He gets to Jericho, 800 feet below sea level, and he takes a 45, if you will. He takes a right, and he starts to climb. Jerusalem sits at 2,500 feet above sea level. So he's going to climb in 15 miles, if it were as the crow flies. It's not. It does this. But, but he's going to climb in the next several hours, 3,300 feet <clears throat> in elevation. He's been there before. He's... he's Walked that road several times. No doubt he walked it 21 years earlier when he was a 12-year-old kid with his parents. <clears throat> they were going up to the great festival. Lots of people on the road. Hundreds of people on the road. And he's a 12-year-old kid. Well, when you're a 12-year-old kid and you've got a long walk like that, I mean, you're playing tag with the kids. You're, you're down in the creek. If there was a creek, you're trying to find lizards and all kinds of stuff. So he, he's been there before, and then he gets to Jerusalem, and his parents lose him. I mean, it's not good to lose the Messiah, you know what I'm saying? And, and they're, they're on their way. They're two days 
out on their way home before they realize he's not there. Apparently, it really does take a village. They're all out there. and they'd <clears throat> But the point is, when they go back to find him, they don't find him down by the creek or hanging out in the marketplace. They find him in the temple, like exactly where you'd expect a 12-year-old kid to be. You know, This is a different kid. This is a, this is a young person. This is a man who came on purpose with person, with purpose. And that first journey, or that 12-year-old journey, was first steps. This is the end game. For 33 years, he's been here to fulfill his father's plan of redemption. And this is no chance. This is no fluke. This is no accident. He was saying, let's do this. Point two in your bulletin. Jesus sacrifices himself on purpose. Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews the 12th chapter, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And here's the part I want you to hear. We'll come back to this text in a minute. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. He makes the turn in Jericho and heads for home through the cross. His home is with his father. He's heading for home through Jerusalem, through the cross, through the open tomb. On two different occasions, you know, he's, he's saying, let's do this. On two different occasions in Washington, D.C., I asked some national leaders, one of them, if I mentioned his name, you would know him, I said, what's the key quality of a leader? And both of them in different locations at different times said the same thing. Sacrifice. Sacrifice laying one's life down. You can do it all at one time. Or as a parent, you do it bit by bit. Sometimes you say, you kids just sucking the life out of me. No, 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 no. <laughs> this was your call, not theirs, you know. You lay your life down as a parent. You lay your life down as a friend when you respond to somebody's need. You lay your life down as spouses for each other. And cost is always in play. Cost is always a factor when you live life on purpose. That's just how it is. I have a couple of nephews who are in the construction business. One is on the production side. He has concrete and plaster work and speed. Getting it done is really critical. The other one is more artistic. And these two guys came to do some uh, bookcases for us at our old house. And they came in there young, in their 30s. All I had to do was keep them supplied with burritos and Red Bull, and they were good for the whole day, you know. And, and, and one of them was the production guy, and this was the artist guy. They'd work like crazy for 12, 13 hours, and the artist guy would say, you know, I think we just, I think we could add some. And the production guy just wanted to punch him out. I mean, I could hear him in there, you know. And so, and I'd always say, so how much would that extra thing cost? And the production guy looked at me, his name's Cam. He looked at me and said, Uncle Dick, here's the deal. Three things in construction. Fast, good, cheap. Pick two. <laughs> I love this. This is really a tremendous template. If it's fast and good, it won't be cheap. If it's fast and cheap, it won't be good. If it's good and cheap, it won't be fast. When Jesus says, let's do this, 
It's none of those. It took 33 years. It's slow. It's costly. When you build the kingdom, it's slow and it's costly. But the result is it's elegant. It fits just right. It's that for which I am designed. That's how that works. Almost 20 years ago on Capitol Hill, I'm walking through the hill, and they use different language on Capitol Hill and the Pentagon and State Department. You know, they don't use churchy language like blessing or saved or the kind of talk. we You rarely hear that language at State Department. And, and I'm asking the Lord, how can I describe the sacrificial journey Jesus made to planet Earth to give himself to change our lives and take us with him to his Father's house? How do I describe that in non, non-church language? And I just had this thought, and some of you have heard me say this before, this idea of place. Heaven and earth, Nazareth, Jerusalem, Jericho. It, you know, the, the, the Bible's about geography and people a lot. And I just had these four, this quartet of, of phrases that came to me. And they go like this. Here's, here's the fourth version of the good news. Jesus says, fourth, here's the deal. I'll leave my place. I'll come to your place. I'll take your place. Then we'll go to my place. Let me say that again. I'll leave my place. I'll come to your place. I'll take your place. Then we'll go to my place. One, let's, let's be in the first grade again. Let's say it together. Are you ready? Here we go. I'll leave my place. I'll come to your place. I'll take your place. Then we'll go to my place. That was really good. Let's do that. I love that. Let's do that one more time. Here we go. One, two, three. I'll leave my place. I'll come to your place, I'll take your place, then we'll go to my place. So, if that's the deal, what's this joy he's talking about? For the joy set before him in this, let's do this on purpose life. What's the joy? Well, you are. I don't know how he saw you down the eons of time. I don't know how he saw Fort Collins that wasn't Fort Collins then, or Colorado that wasn't Colorado then. I didn't. I don't think he cares about those titles. Well, he might, but I. But the point is, it's you, it's us. He saw, and he says, for the joy set before him, I'll do this thing here. I will suffer the humiliation. I'll take all of their junk and load it on me, so that when it comes their time, forgiveness will be right there, and all they do is turn the faucet and receive it, because there's nothing they can do to get it anyway. So I'll just, I'll just do it. We are the reward of his sacrifice. So when he makes the turn, about ten days out from Easter, from Resurrection Day, a couple things happen. One is the opportunities intensify. He comes into Jericho, and you can read this in the Gospels. You've got a guy like blind Bartimaeus screaming, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples are trying to shut him up. The crowd's trying to go be quiet. They've got heavy teaching going here. I don't know. But they're, and then the moms with the little babies, they come. And, and the disciples, again, are trying to get him to back off. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 let him come, because this is, this is what the kingdom's made of. These are the shareholders. You've got to be like that, or you don't get in. And then there's the rip-off guy, Zacchaeus, who's ripping these people off. He's short guy, so he goes up a tree, he's up a tree, out on a limb. You ever been there? And, he, and Jesus calls him down and goes to his house, and his whole life has changed. So opportunities intensify, and, and in a few days, when he gets to Jerusalem, opposition intensifies. You can read this. 
that people are challenging him. It's, it's the religious leaders who feel their power slipping away. And they're saying, now, okay, so talk to us about the resurrection. Who are you married to then? If a guy's been married seven times, I mean, you know, they concoct these hypothetical things. Or should we pay money to taxes? Or should we give money to God? Now, that's not hypothetical. Excuse me. Taxes to Caesar or money to God. That's not hypothetical. Or who gave you the authority to talk like this or do all this? So they're really coming at him. Half of the Gospel of John is about the last six weeks of Jesus' life. A third of all the Gospels is about this last six weeks. It's, it's, the, it's the end game that you listen to. It's the end game when people talk that you hear. And things are speeding up. This is birth. So contractions are starting. It's getting more and more intense. It's like that basketball game that's going to be played between UConn and Kentucky. You don't have to watch the whole thing. Just watch the last five minutes. It's going to be decided in the last five minutes. Trust me. It's all on the line. Point three. God has his purposes. Point one. It's not chance. It's on purpose. Jesus came purposefully to set the stage to give us access. And we are here on purpose. Point three, we are here on purpose. Look again at the words of Hebrews 12. Therefore, and I'm taking the first part of the text now, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. Last week I talked about someone in your corner, having somebody to stand up for you. And here's a bunch of somebodies. The, the writer of Hebrews said there's a whole crowd cheering. When you hear cheering, it is an unbelievable sound like this. This is how cheering sounds. cheering. You hear the Jim Millers and the, the people who have gone on before, your mom and your aunt and that good friend or that child that went before you sort of out of order. Do you, you hear them cheering you on. Why would they be cheering? Because you and I have a purpose. We have an end game. We have a goal. We're not just wandering through life saying, well, whatever, you know, if, whatever. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't saying whatever when he went to the cross. And you don't say whatever with your life when you follow him. You don't say whatever with your life or I say whatever with my life when his spirit dwells in us. There's this uh, really phenomenal thing that happened 12 years ago. There was this pastor in Southern California by the name of Rick Warren who published a book called Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Life has sold more copies than any other book in the history of publishing, apart from the Bible, which is the bestseller. Forty million copies in the last 12 years in 50 languages. A bestseller is 50,000. Forty million. And you say, I wonder why, because that sounds like a religious book, a purpose-driven. No, no. Oh, it's got some scripture, and it's not a religious book. It's a life book. I think... That many people have purchased that book because intuitively in our gut, we know 
that we are designed with purpose. I think it's because we're looking for purpose or we know it's there and we don't know how to frame it or don't know how to read it or whatever it is. And so Jesus comes along and, and connects his purpose in the world to my purpose in the world and says, let's do this in a very specific way. In this last week, his disciples, they, they apparently have issues because they, they got into an argument in the same time frame saying, who's going to be the greatest? They're jockeying for position. One of the mothers comes and says, these are good Jewish boys. You know, if you have one sit here and one here, they're good, you know. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't get it. Mark 10 says it this way, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, I, he says, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This message today is not about career counseling. I'm not suggesting you be a plumber or an attorney or in waste management or an artist. or a, a, No, no, no. You can figure that out on your own. This is about your mission that goes beyond what you get a dollar for. This is about the core of our lives. My mission, your mission, has an eternal component. It's about executing that purpose for which I was designed. It's about saying, let's do this. Jesus makes it practical and redemptive. He says... I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Only he can do that, and he did it. So that part's done. But when he says, this is the way you lead, this is how to be great, serve. That's how to be great. That's what looks like the kingdom. That connects your decades of life to the kingdom. And let me give you a practical let's do this question that will change your life if you choose to employ it, if you choose to authentically use this question. Here it is. Ready? Anything I can do for you? It takes all kinds of shapes. It can be food preparation. It can be house cleaning. It can be parking somebody's car. It can be taking somebody a bottle of water at work. It can, it can, you know, it can be the things that you find in the congregation. But I'm talking about out where you are, you know, most of your days out in the workaday world. And, and here's three things I can guarantee you. I can't guarantee you very much. I can guarantee you if you follow Jesus, it'll change your whole life. I can guarantee you that. But here's three other things I can guarantee you if you use this question. If you say authentically to people, anything I can do for you, here are the three things. One, your life will always have meaning. Your life will always have meaning. Number two, you will always have friends. And number three, is you'll never be out of work. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in. Let me say it again. Your life will always have meaning. You will always have friends, and you will always have work. You'll never be out of work. The next two weeks, we head through the cross toward the resurrection. We follow Jesus as he says, let's do this. And I pray that it'll be in our hearts to understand how powerful that idea is. We are designed on purpose for a purpose, Jesus models and gives us capacity to execute that pur purpose. And our lives may not be straight line. Lots of us, you know, I've done this and that, and roles have taken me here and there. But the mission 
has always been there in some form or another. I close with this story. I have a friend who grew up in a rural county in Oklahoma. And he was a stutterer in school. And he said kids kind of made fun of him. But, but they didn't make so much fun of him because one of his best friends was Billy. And everybody liked Billy. Oh, Billy wasn't captain of the football team or anything. This was just a rural school, maybe a one-room schoolhouse. But Billy was a Down syndrome boy. Billy, everybody liked Billy. And Billy loved sports. He couldn't talk very much, my friend said. He, he could only say, like, let's go eat and let's play ball. And so the, they had rules for Billy when he played sports. They'd go out to play baseball at recess. And some of you are old enough to remember when you went out for recess, you chose up sides and it was just spontaneous. It wasn't planned. You didn't have charts. You just did it. And you knew who the captains were going to be. They were always the captains. And so, but the, the rule was whoever was the first captain had to choose Billy. And the second rule was that when Billy was up to bat, he always got a hit. Now, he didn't have eye-hand coordination, so he just hold the bat out there and the pitcher had to hit it. You know, <laughs> if you had to, like, throw 50 pitches, you know, come on, sucker, hit the bat, you know. And, and the third rule was that Billy always got on base. But Billy really didn't get the base thing, so he'd run to first and just round it head for second. You had to stop the game, get Billy back on first base. And the fourth rule was that Billy always scored. If you had to overthrow third base, if you had to drop the ball in the outfield, whatever it is, Billy always scored. And he'd run around and come into home plate. He didn't just walk across the plate. He'd come to the plate and he'd go like that, both feet on the plate. Because Billy was a let's do this guy, and he was a finisher. One day they had a, had a county-wide uh, track and field meet. And, uh, you know, they did long jump, broad jump. They did 100-yard, 200-yard, quarter mile. And Billy signed up for everything. Like, he couldn't run hardly at all, but he signed up for everything because that's just who he was. He was a let's-do-this kind of kid. And they ran the 100-yard dash, and guys were finished, and Billy was like a two-thirds of the way back. And some of the people in the stand said, look at this little kid. He's just sort of, and he's just waddling. They kind of snickered. The 200-yard same thing. These guys finished. They were getting their men, and Billy's still coming. And some of the folks said, that kid's got guts. And then came the quarter mile, the 400-yard race. And they took off once around the oval. And these guys came in, and they finished. And Billy was still back there on the far end, just starting into the backstretch. And as he came along the backstretch, the people started to cheer. And as he got to this corner and came around this corner, people started spilling down out of the stands. And by the time he got to make the last turn heading home, they were on the track with him. And they started running. And they ran with Billy across the finish line. And when they came to the finish line, they hoisted him onto their shoulders and they did a victory lap around the oval. And my friend said, to this day... Nobody can remember who won that race, but everybody can remember who finished. God has called us to do what he does and who he is. This on-purpose God, with this on-purpose trajectory in our lives, we are a let's-do-this people. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? In this quiet moment, I just want to ask this question. You say you're 
I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've received him into my life. You may have followed him for many years. But in this moment, you say, you know, it's, it's been some tough days, maybe some tough years. And my sense of purpose, my sense of mission, I've taken some hits. And my sense of mission has somewhere gotten eroded or weakened. But as you close in prayer, Pastor Dick, I'd like for you to include me in, in your prayer to say, God, refresh me with my sense of mission and purpose in life, your kind of mission. And starting on my far right and on your far left, you just slip up your hand, put it right back down and say, just include me. Just include me. Yes, yes, yes. I see you. Coming across the center aisle to my left and your right. Just lift it high and put it down. Yep, yep, I see you. All the way across to the far side. I see you. Yes. Yep. I see you. Gotcha. There may be some here this morning who say, you know, I'm, I think I'm a by chance person. I don't think I've ever really believed that I was here with an eternal purpose and that Jesus is the one who makes that happen, that takes away all the junk of my past and gives his life to me so that I can live his life and be with him forever. I've, I've never done that. I've never said, I want Jesus in my life. I want to be one of his. But I sense a tug in my own spirit this morning. And, and I'd, like to, I'd like to start that journey. I don't know what it means, but I'd like to start it. And you just... You just want to follow your heart this morning. And you, starting again on my far right... You'll just slip a hand up, put it right back down, and I'll include you in the closing prayer. You just slip it up and say, I want to start this morning. I just want to do that. And you'll lift it up and put it down. Yes, yes, I see you back there. Coming across toward the center aisle. Yes, ma'am, I see you. Coming across, across the center aisle. Yes, I see your hand in the back. Yes, you can put it down. Coming across. Yes, sir, I see it. You can put it down. Coming across all the way to the far side. Yes, I see your hand back there in the middle. I see you. Father, I just want to tell you this morning that um, I'll never get over you. I'll never get over your grace through Jesus that touches our hearts. And for these who are your people, your followers, you, those who have received you into their lives, they're believers, but, but they've lost their mission way, sort of, along the way here, that it's sort of leaked out because of circumstance or whatever. I pray this week, I trust you that this week, they will sense your presence in a profound way and that you will, even by revelation, give them a sense of why they are here and what they're about. Help them to be in anything I can do for you, people. Again. And for these numbers who have said, I've never started this journey with Jesus. I want that purpose. I want his forgiveness in my life. I want a new life. Thank you for them. So many hundreds of us here have done what they are doing right now. Starting the journey. So thank you for their lives. And even as they say, come into my life, Lord Jesus, just in their own hearts. Thank you for doing it. Even in this moment. We believe you for tremendous things. In Jesus' name we pray these things. And everybody said, Amen.
Is this a good morning or what? I mean, yeah, you can cheer for that. One of the things that we love to do in the kingdom of God is to give back because he gave first. And so we're going to receive the offering this morning. Our ushers are coming. If you're a guest here, please don't put money in the offering plate. But if you have the little white card, you want to put that in, please do that. But as the ushers come, I just say again, what a joy it is to be able to give. I think the word I used last week was to not be able to give is stultifying. That's a $4 word.